Managing type 1 diabetes can be difficult and challenging. Today, a management revolution is underway that can help us all live happier and healthier lives. I'm Cliff Sherb, founder of Glucose Advisors. I will be sitting down with expert guests exploring topics in the advancements of the science of diabetes management, their personal type 1 diabetes stories, and details of the latest methods to help take control of T1D. We hope these stories inspire you to take control of your diabetes, health, and well-being, learning more about the advancements that exist to live a better life. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com, learn from our team of advisors, and find out more about space available in our management programs. Welcome, Dr. Matt Kikorin, to the podcast. Uh, super thrilled to have you here, Matt. Thanks for joining us, and uh, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Cliff. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I'm excited to be working together with you and uh, the Diabetes Training Camp. And, you know, uh, I'm going to kick off our call here with a, a question for you. It is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Wow. Uh, I, flight, I think. I mean... I wouldn't mind getting off the ground and, and just getting somewhere a little more quickly, especially nowadays. Time seems to be the <laughs> the commodity <laughs> that I'm missing the most of. So I I'd have to I'd have to go with flight. Uh, that's a that's a great one. That's a great one. I that's actually one that I had thought of too. And then I'm like, well, there's so many more like wishing for wishes or things like that. But uh, you know, I think that's a great superpower to have. And uh, you know, when I was growing up. I think I thought about and had dreams of flying quite a bit, and it's it's some of the most freeing kind of kind of experiences you can have. Yeah, well, I'll let you know how it goes. Okay, <laughs> okay. Awesome. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> All right. Well, with that intro, let's let's talk a little bit more about Matt uh, professionally. Uh, Matt is the uh, Diabetes Training Camp founder, director, and CEO, chairman of Diabetes Training Camp Foundation. And That's a lot the of DTC, titles, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And it keeps going. <laughs> yes. uh, the DTC medical team, and uh, he's also an advisor to our programs. Uh, so Matt graduated from Boston College and earned his medical degree from Georgetown um, uh, School of Medicine, and uh, has worked at the University of Chicago Hospitals to complete his internship and in residency in internal medicine and his fellowship in diabetes, endocrinology, and metabolism. So Matt is a super great guy and uh, is really uh, out there in the diabetes space, especially in the realm of sports, but he also has his private practice too in uh, Somers Point, New Jersey. So with that as the backdrop, Matt, thanks so much for taking the time again. And I'm just excited to, uh, to talk you up about a whole bunch of different points in diabetes. That's great, Cliff. Yeah, no, it, we've known each other for some years now, and it's fun to be getting together a little more frequently and, and planning to do some work together. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, so my profession and my career is as a, a you know, an endocrinologist, diabetes specialist in the community, uh, working for a community medical center, Shore Physicians Group down here in South Jersey. I've been in both worlds, the academic world and, and um, the world of private practice and, and corporate medicine. But uh, my true passion is, is for working in the space of uh, fitness, exercise, and sport for, for those with diabetes and, and, and just love working within the community. So it's great to team up with you. Yeah, likewise. And, 
you know, I, I did some rough calculations of how long we've known each other. It's actually been about a decade. So uh, about 10 years since we initially first met and talked to each other. Uh, and, you know, you've been uh, working a lot with uh, T T1D and activity and uh, that's your, your wheelhouse. How did you ever get into that and, and what made you want to pursue that as uh, a passion? So, um, I got, you know, initially I got into endocrinology and diabetes specifically. I was inspired by one of my mentors uh, when I was a resident out there at University of Chicago, who was a, a pretty much a classic researcher, but he did a lot of, uh, he did his clinical work with passion as well, which was fairly unique um, in that environment to have such passion for both sides of the work. Um, so he really inspired me to uh, um, uh, to get into um, diabetes, and uh, so I, I was fortunate enough to land a spot in the endocrinology fellowship there at University of Chicago. And listen, I just started working with the population, and 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 got a lot of opportunity to work in in the type one space, and and both type one and type two, of course. Uh, but just really. Um, I got a lot back um, from 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 the folks that I was working with with diabetes. And um, uh, long story short, actually, with about one month left in my fellowship, uh, I got a page from my sister-in-law, who had, she had never paged me before. Um, so uh, I I excused myself from an examining room. I remember it like it was yesterday, right? And called my sister-in-law back and talked to Holly and she was calling to let me know that my niece, Abby, had been diagnosed with type one diabetes that morning um, out at Aspen Valley Hospital. Um, and so uh, ironic, um, it was a little bit of a kick to the gut, um, a punch to the gut. And, uh, but uh, from that point forward, it just, something I enjoyed and something I liked doing really, it really just lit a fire and, and became a passion. So, um, you know, I, I, I never want for my niece to have a chronic disease or type one diabetes, but I'm thankful for her, uh, inspiration, I guess, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, during my time there in Chicago, uh, Cliff, I got to, I got to meet with and, and work with a lot of um, primarily amateur athletes with, with type 1 diabetes who were pursuing the distance events and the Chicago Marathon, et cetera, and, uh, and, uh, and, and somehow dove right into that community and, and um, fortunately became um, uh, known as one of the go-to people in Chicago if, if you were interested in exercise and sport and diabetes, and, and it just just fell in love with it. Just that intersection of exercise, diabetes, and sport. It's just a, it's a natural intersection that we're still trying to figure out how to bring it all together. Yeah. And, and things have changed, right? A little bit for you guys. I know, right. Part of the, the, the beauty of your camps, right. Is that you're on the ground, you're, the students are learning together, right. The athletes are getting together and sharing stories. They're learning from you. And that synergy is just palpable. I mean, it's just so great for them to, to learn in that way. So I know you've made some transitions onto online, um, you know, work and, and that seems to have gone really well too. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed being part of you know, one of your virtual camps last year 
And certainly it's challenging right now with the pandemic, but uh, hopefully fingers crossed, right? You guys will be back on the ground later this year. Uh, absolutely. We, we, our signature event is, is producing on the ground camps where um, we can do experiential learning um, with our campers and with our camp community. And I, I, and I mean that we can do it because it's, we're all learning uh, together. Certainly, we have a remarkable group of experts who come in and, and put, uh, put on our camps uh, for our camps and, and the camp community, but we, we all learn together and, and that will remain our signature event. Um, so we're, you know, we're doing everything we can right now to be back on the ground later in 2021, if we can healthfully um, you know, do it, do it in a healthful way and safe way for our entire community. If we can't, we'll be back on the ground again the following year. So uh, sure. Yeah. But for at those the same out time, there I listening, think that, I would just say uh, that it, it's, you know, whether you're on the ground or you're virtual, it's the, it's the education uh, that, you know, really math program puts together uh, so well and something that you and I are both quite aligned with uh, in that way. So, you know, uh, diabetes just requires uh, a skill and and uh, and expertise and and having that education is huge. So yeah, that's what your camps I think offer. Thank you, Cliff. Yeah, I, you know I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, our job is um, so this. I don't want to take us off track, right? But part of the work that you do, uh, much of the work that you do and much of the work that I do is, is in response to a need, but also to a broken medical system. Uh, and, um, and, and our job is really to free people up and, and make people self-sufficient. And how do you do that? You, you do that by, to the best of your ability, educating them to, uh, to be independent and lean on a resource when they need to. Uh, and, and try to be that resource for them. So that's what we're trying to do. We're, you know, knowledge is power. And like, like you, yeah. we're, we're passionate about education. And, and I think, um, you know, I think with this year, um, and I know you've, I, I know you see it much the same way. I think um, just even for our own mindset and good, we have to see some silver linings in, in 2020 and, and, and COVID and, um boy, the, res the response we got to, to, to just throwing out our education virtually um, yeah. and, and seeing how it went, uh, the response that we got was, was fantastic. Yeah, equally, I see that, you know, people doubled down on their health and their well-being and said, well, man, I, I really need to give more time to my diabetes. I, all right, I've got a little bit more time. I am home. I'm maybe not traveling around as much. And, you know, that, that health becomes most important because at the end of the day, you realize that's, that is one of the most important things in life. So I, I think that that was one of the big trends and takeaways that I also saw from 2020 and, you know, there were others too, but that, that was a biggie. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I can, even just in my own personal life, I can relate. I, uh, so I don't have diabetes, um, uh, but I was, you know, some asp I was not pleased with some aspects of my health and sort of um, the direction that I was going and and um, yeah I, I I you know people respond to this pandemic in many different ways but I likewise I saw it as an opportunity to um, 
you know, focus in a little bit and, um, yeah. and zero in on, on some, um, some, some healthier habits and, 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 and glad that I was able to do that while we had this little bit of a, um, it, reprieve from running around. <laughs> it's a good way for us to refocus on what matters. Right. And, you know, uh, from on the, in the diabetes way, you know, we look at cortisol a lot, right? You and I help people with balancing their insulin. And we do know that with a lot of cortisol and stress, and there's plenty of it going around, that's only going to increase our insulin resistance for type ones. They need to worry about that. So, you know, that contributes to weight gain and contributes to just overall health complications at times, if it's inappropriately, you know, a lot more insulin. So yeah, I mean, the, the balance of uh, trying to strike it with uh, our weapon of choice is being physical. Mine personal is too, uh, you know, and that's how I feel more balanced, you know, diabetes uh, independent of it uh, or independent of having diabetes. That is, you know, you need to be physically fit and take care of yourself. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, diabetes or not. Right. I, I mean, I, yeah. we, we had uh, one of our virtual hubs last night and we were talking a little bit about this, uh, but it, it's it, it, in the diabetes space, it's um, in my 20 years working in the field, it's, it's still in my mind, the greatest stabilizer that we have that daily dose of fitness, taking yeah. your, taking your insulin sensitivity, locking it in a higher level and keeping it there through some sort of consistent daily <laughs> dose of activity and, and, and fitness. It's, it, it's the greatest stabilizer I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would definitely double down on that. Uh, my whole life being is been explored through activity and, and I've found the best control of my life, uh, through that and have lived that way. And, and the people that generally we, we work with to, um, subscribe to that mostly, I don't think it means that, you know, that's the only way to live a best life, you know, with your diabetes, but it certainly is one that leads towards more better outcomes and predictability to blood sugar that we, we all are craving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what age were you diagnosed, Cliff? I can't remember what age you were diagnosed with type 1. Yeah, I was diagnosed at the age of nine. Yep. So you were, you were already into, you were beginning to get into uh, sports and athletics and that kind of stuff prior to your diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was uh, kind of like the Tasmanian devil had a real hard time sitting still. My, my parents put me into every sport so that, uh, you know, by the time I came to sit in front of them in dinner, I was at least, you know, fairly tired enough. <laughs> we, we, we have one or two of those at home right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, really? We're going to have him do that? And Jody's like, well, <laughs> you want him here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. <laughs> Put him into that too. It just helps keep everything even keel. And uh, yeah, I was diagnosed fairly early enough on. So uh, being physical was always my outlet, but uh, I was never very good at the at diabetes management when I was in my teens. I don't, you know, it's a challenging time for, kids anyway, but the, the activity made things much more of a roller coaster at first. And then, you know, when I learned how to harness it, then it was, it was fantastic, but, uh, yeah, getting, getting, uh, the, the legs unwound a little bit before, um, sitting down is always a good thing for me. So, yeah. 
what do you remember what like the what what an aha moment for you was when you like when you like figured out as an athlete i can rein this in a little bit do you like any striking oh aha moments there yeah there were the, probably the the most massive change for me was number one getting an into into an insulin pump and uh many years ago i fought it hard tooth and nail and i i just realized i'll never race any faster without a pump because the long acting insulin I was taking and, and I do, I was doing ultra distance events, that long acting insulin was just wreaking havoc on my, uh, my, my running, frankly, uh, in the marathon on the Ironman. So when I would get to the end of the marathon, my blood sugar would just be tanking and it didn't matter how much glucose I was trying to take in. And so I, I recognized that if I were going to set some of the records that I wanted, I, I had to remove that, that long acting insulin and I was still on injections at the time. Hmm. And once I moved over to the pump, it, it was just a complete change. Cause now suddenly, right. You had complete flexibility. There was numbers that could be changed and manipulated throughout your day. And, uh, the customization to insulin delivery and food was tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. That was an aha for me. So uh, I mean, yeah, well, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but any, anytime you can um, increase your own level of precision and, and ability to control the precision, it's a yeah, uh, it's an advantage, right? Yeah, no, exactly. So I have a question for you. What what do you think right now? And and there are many probably, but what are some of the major struggles you think that kids who are wanting to be active today with their management are facing, especially right now with with this pandemic? I mean, where where do we sit with that? With, with kids who want to be active. Yeah, kids, teenagers, because I think, right, we've seen such a big shift that, you know, as professionals helping, you know, T1Ds out, you know, th this most recent year has been really an interesting change for things. And you and I are helping people who are generally very active, but we've asked people now to stay indoors and the activities that they're used to, are, you know, are, are different. So the management techniques, have you helped, you know, uh, your, um, patients move towards something different? Have you given them different ideas? What's been your experience for them? You know, I, I think one of the biggest challenges relates to what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago in terms of the stabilizing force of a consistent, um, level of activity. So with, with, uh, with kids and adults being more sedentary, uh, over the course of the last year, um, I think that the intermittent nature of activity or being able to get out to do something um, uh, is uh, creates a lot of chaos for them on the diabetes side of things. So um, sure. if they haven't been active for a couple of days, I mean, you know, I, I, I think physiologically and physically, the, the body doesn't really like sudden jolts or change, right? And I think these, these periods of, of um, being sedentary, you know, and then all of a sudden three or four, three or four days pass, and then you can go out and be active. Um, I think that that flux and, and that sudden jolt to the system creates a lot of challenge um, for uh, for someone who's regardless of their pursuit, if they're if they're going for a walk, yeah, um, going for a walk or a jog, or 
you know, they're, they're getting back out um, to train for, for something. So I, you know, with our, uh, with the, it's true of the adults that I work with and, and the teens that I work with, but um, you know, the, the teenagers just, they're in the here and now, right? So yeah, they, they just want to be spontaneous. So it's, it's, it's challenging for our teen athletes to understand the, the, uh, how to regulate their insulin levels. If, you know, so if we're talking specifically about teens with type one diabetes, um, the biggest intervention we can make with them is to help them figure out that, um, you know, that, that bolus of insulin that they just took (laughs) is, uh, you know, is causing a problem for them on the field an hour later. Right. Um, and, and I think it's just, that's just magnified if they've been sitting around for a few days uh, and then get to go out and do something. And, and they're, they're trying to do something in the setting of having, you know, peaking insulin on board. That, that's the biggest, man, if I can make one single intervention with, with a kid or an adult, but, but particularly our teen athletes. You know, they're educated, Cliff, and I, I think you get this. They're, they're educated oftentimes, um, not always, but they're educated oftentimes that they need to eat a snack or a meal 45 mm-hmm. minutes or an hour before they go to their practice or their yes. game. So with that comes the suggestion that they dose insulin for that meal or that snack. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then you know what happens next. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, double arrow down uh, in the first 20 minutes of practice and they have to sit out. Yeah. Yeah. And th- those are all, I mean, super great observations and challenges that, you know, we face, especially with our more af- athletic uh, minded, uh, you know, kids. And, you know, one, some of the things you, you can do, right? You can ask them to eat differently. And, you know, sometimes that's challenging for kids. And uh, we have, you know, somewhat of a system where we're trying to help people, you know, uh, manage with a sliding scale, right? A basic kind of sliding scale of insulin uh, based on activities and things like that. But uh, regardless, you know, most kids, it's challenging for them to want to engage insulin directly anyway, right? They're, they're hesitant to making changes and, you know, you get your prescription oftentimes from your doctor and it's like, okay, well, that's what I stick with. At least when I was, let's just say 15 years old, I can remember, all right, this is my Lantus dose. I take it. And yes, I'm going to eat a little something before, cause that's just what you do to have energy. And I can just remember, you know, sweating buckets, playing basketball and, you know, sitting on the sidelines for a minute till I felt better and eat enough glucose to get back in the game. And I think nowadays, right, we have some strategies that help with that and, and you help, you know, your students figure that out too. And, uh, but the, I think, you know, the challenges right now, the regimens, everybody's regimens a little off, you know, some of the, the kids that, you know, we interact with are sitting at home with mom and dad a little more. They're doing the home gym thing for a bit. And then maybe they're back on at school for a little bit, but then it's off again. So yeah. you're right. I think yeah. it's challenging. Well, the, the, um, Boy, there's a lot there, but uh, from the insulin dosing perspective, uh, right. you can you can attest to this much better than I can. But I would imagine 
when you're in heavy training mode, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that your insulin requirements across the board might drop 30 to 50% um, when you're really fit and, and in heavy training mode versus when you're in more rest periods. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's something that our, especially the fam our families of, of younger kids with diabetes or teens with, with, with type one understand uh, what a big difference um, sedentary versus active can have on just sort of the, the overall uh, dosing requirements. They're Definitely. also there. And I know you see that they're, they're also pretty isolated, right? One of the, um, one of the most amazing things about being part of our diabetes training camp community is just that the community and um, the, the sharing of information and knowledge and experiences uh, with each other and uh, teens, you know, teens with type one diabetes or diabetes in general are teens and they want to be teens, right? So um, it's, it's harder for them, I think, to connect and have this sense of community and, and learn from their peers who also have uh, type one. You know, we run this. Uh, so a few years ago, we got into running teen boot camps. So we do a teen boot camp for teen athletes and their parents. And mm -hmm. um, one of the um, uh, one of the more remarkable things, you know, they don't want to come. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> Mom know? and dad signed me up. I'm yeah, here. That's grudgingly. Exactly, yeah. And they it's kind of a unique camp, I think, because we have we we have the teen athlete and their parent come together. And uh, we try to keep them apart as much as we can during the weekend. Uh, but sometimes we bring them together and pull them apart. Anyway, um, I'll never forget one of our first team boot camps. Um, you know, they were there a little begrudgingly, and I'm grateful to them for taking the leap of faith. And so in our first couple of sessions, they're sitting at tables still next to their parents, you know, each teen athletes with their parent. And then, you know, uh, the next morning we come into the, we have a common room, right? We have an, where we kind of share meals and educate, do as much as we can, uh, in this space. And, you know, the next morning I walk into the room for, uh, an education session. And, um, now all the guy teen athletes are sitting around a table together and all the young, uh, female athletes are sitting at another table, you know, kind of laughing it up together and we go about our day and then we come back for lunch. No, we come back for dinner. So now 24 hours after the beginning, and now the teens have pulled two tables together <laughs> and the 18 of them are sitting around the table together. And man, I tell you what, Cliff, if I, it was like mission accomplished. You know what I yeah. mean? You just you, like these people are, they're together, they're having fun. They're sharing stories, probably yeah. not really about diabetes. They're probably not talking about diabetes at all, <laughs> but at least they found some kinship. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's really powerful. Definitely kinship and commonality. And, you know, the, the discussion I'm sure is there uh, with, with them. And then they have those bonds for indefinitely, right? They, they're talking after that. It doesn't just stop there. And, you know, in our experience too, you know, when people pair up, uh, even in our program, they tend to not only become friends, but then they're troubleshooting each other's problems too. And so 
uh, yeah, the initial discussion may just be about getting to know each other, but I think that's a huge power to uh, your program when they get to get together and then, you know, they're being escorted by your experts and you. So that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. fun. Now, this is the part in the podcast where I ask you your top three things in your experience you think every type one should know. And, and uh, it could be on management, but it's something that would just help them along their path and journey. Uh, wow. So the top three things. Yeah. That you think every type one should just know, you know, that, that would help them. Because I feel like a lot of type ones tend to get a lot of great information. They may even read it ad hoc on the web, but, you know, things that are distilled from many years of learning and you've worked with a lot of uh, great type ones out there in the sport world, you know, what are the three pearls that you'd say, yep, got to know that? Um, I don't know if this is a knowledge thing, but I think uh, I, I would always recommend that uh, you do your best to embrace the imperfections of the system. Uh, and, and understand um, that the tools and strategies that we're handing you to manage your diabetes are imperfect. And if you want to do a little deeper dive into what that, you know, physiologically, why it's imperfect and, and the fact that we're bypassing normal physiology with, you know, by injecting insulin subcutaneously, et cetera, uh, you know, you can do a deeper dive. But if you want to just understand that we're handing you imperfect tools um, and, and, uh, you, you should really cut yourself a break and acknowledge how often you get it right. <laughs> um, that's a remarkable thing. Uh, yeah. So I would, a, I would probably start one. there as my number one. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, number two, um, I would just say that uh, hypoglycemia or low blood sugar is not a good thing. <laughs> and and yeah. I, would, I, would, I would continue to try to avoid it um, as, as much as you possibly can, despite everything you've ever been told about how low your A1C should be or um, that that, you know, you need to have really tight glucose control. I think, yeah, um, yeah uh, understanding how hard it is to avoid it um, and how difficult it is, um, I would still um, do everything in your power to uh, set yourself up to minimize your risk of, of hypoglycemia as, as much as possible so that because that will what's what's hard to climb onto here is how that how much that's going to benefit you over the next 20 30 40 50 60 years of living with diabetes uh, but it's really uh, it's really crucial to protect um, it's like the old under armor uh, ads I don't know if they're still out there with this ad but uh, protect your house yeah. And, and the way that you can protect your house with type 1 diabetes 
is to protect your defense system and uh, keep it intact as much as you can. And the way that you do that is you work to minimize your risk of low blood sugars. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. That's a that's a really nice pearl that I, I don't think I've quite heard it said quite like that. And I, I like it because I, I also agree, you know, that you can look at A1Cs and you can come up with these great A1Cs. And if they're brought about by much high highs and low lows, right? That's not a huge quality of life, right? For one. And two, you know, those, those lows, those precipitous lows all the time can be fairly damaging in a lot of different ways mentally and um, to just your own, your ability to execute throughout your day and your sharpness. And I, you could correct me, but I haven't seen the studies that suggest, you know, a 10 milligrams per deciliter or even 15 milligrams per deciliter or an A1C of just a 0.2 higher is going to make a hill of beans, you know, right. in the long term. That's right. And you'll still be, you know, just as healthy and, and doing well. So, it's yeah, good, no, good I, point. Think, I, I think you're right on there. And yes. uh, I think. Uh, I think number three would be um, uh, to be open to change. Um, I, I think be, be open to change. I, I think that, um, and that probably applies to a lot of different things, but be, you know, if you're not on technologies, be open to the, the possibility of technologies and, and what they could do for you. If you're on one insulin, uh, be open to the possibility that another one might perform differently for you, despite what your insurer or your insurance carrier may say about what insulin you should be on. Um, you know, be open to change in 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 strategies. I, I think, Cliff, one thing that 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 really has struck me over the years is um, part of part of your uh, success or perceived success and, and health um, stems from confidence in, in, in confidence that you know how things are going to go, right? As, you, as you've mastered your diabetes management, you have a confidence level that you know how things are gonna go. Well, there are situations where things are not going well, <laughs> but someone knows how it's going to go. <laughs> And, um, you know, the, one of my greatest joys is, is walking, through, walking through with that person to help them, um, to help them realize change. And early on, it's not always easy because even though it's not going well, they know how it's going and how it's going to go. And it's a little unnerving to take a step and change things up. Yeah. Uh, even even if the end of the road is 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 a positive result, that, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I think you probably just described my life uh, up to forty two years. <laughs> it was a lot of uh, trial and error in the beginning. The willingness to try different things, like you said, which was huge. In the beginning, I was really uh, looking at what was happening right in front of me all the time. And now it's it's looking down the road, miles down the road, and seeing how things are playing out. And the ability for us to help type one see down the road is is the key. So 
I think that you're, you're really right on with that and being able to change because right now it's an exciting time with the different technologies, closed looping, different types of insulins that are out there. So if you're amenable to change and you're willing to learn, I think that the, the positivity is, is endless and you, know, you can live a life, frankly, of thinking about it less, which is really what you want. So, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Look, and I'm, I'm right up there with you. I'd, I'd rather we, you know, listen, we'd rather see a cure for this, for this disease uh, or metabolic disorder, however we're going to refer to it. But yeah, but it, in, when that day comes, it will be a great day. But along the way there, I mean, there's, I can't imagine working in a different field at this time. And I, I can't, I, it's a great time to be working in diabetes because of the variety of options and, and therapies and tools that we have. And, and they, and like you said, they just keep, they keep getting better. And I mean, if you just look at continuous glucose monitoring and using time and range versus yeah. like just thinking about that A1C all the time. I mean, I know um, it's, I, know. <laughs> I think the last, really the last eight years, five to eight years has been the most exciting in, in my, my life in terms of diabetes management. And I remember when I was first diagnosed, they said, oh, it'll be cured in your lifetime. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not still holding out for the cure, but I do think that the ability to live even better, it just keeps getting better. You know, it's, it's there. And I, I was going to ask you, what, you know, what do you, what are you most excited about the future of T1D? But I think you kind of, kind of answered it there maybe a bit, but uh, where do you, where do you see us headed in five to 10 years? Uh, optimizing the automation, um, I think is the next five to 10 years. I, and you know, with these, um, and I, and I'm, you know, I'm deep in the trenches cliff. So I'll acknowledge there's, 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 there, there are probably developments out there that are on the horizon that, that I'm, I'm not as aware of how close they may be, but, um, working in the trenches in the space, um, I think optimizing the automation we've already seen, you know, just in the past three or four years, some, some pretty nice developments there. And, and uh, they're early iterations, but when you, you know, with, uh, I don't know, I don't know if you've been on any of the automated systems or not, but when you see uh, at least what it can do for somebody through the nighttime, yeah. Um, in terms of stabilizing control, um, and that's a huge thing. I mean, it, it, we were talking a little bit about low blood sugar and protecting your house. And I mean, mm -hmm. if, if somebody's having frequent low blood sugars in the middle of the night, that just sets them up for chaos, as you know, for the next 12 to 18 hours. Yeah. And if, if we eliminate that from the mix, that's a huge win. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously some work to do on what happens during the daytime and when people ingest nutrients and, and, challenge their system with exercise, et cetera, with the automation. But I, that's what I, that's what I have my eyes on for the next five to 10 years is yeah. optimizing those. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. I, I've been closed looping using loop for about three years now, and it, it's a major game changer for me in, in terms of the export of the mental functions of the day and allows me to go on to other things. I know for some, it might still be a bit, bit of a burden to still have to do some work with it. It's not complete autopilot, 
but it's certainly in the overnight hours. Uh, I've talked about this before uh, with some others. It, it, it's brilliant. And I think that you're right. We will be optimizing these systems and getting better, but it's still going to be a challenge when it comes to nutrition, exercise, and pairing lifestyle with these systems because that they still live in this instantaneous mode of, you know, helping you. And so again, that whole idea that we, I was saying, trying to see down the road ahead of things is, is the challenge and what I've tried to make better for other people too. And it, it's, it's not easy and you do get it wrong. You get it wrong a lot, but at least you know what's generally going to happen before it happens. And so you can softball what's going to happen. You're not going to go quite as low or quite as high for that matter. So, yeah. And, and I think regardless of the system, right, regardless of the system or the automation, et cetera, um, it's still important to educate people on the very things that you were alluding to nutrition, fitness, yeah. training, rest, recovery. I mean, uh, yeah. these things are crucial things that, you know, regardless of how much automation you're on or you're not on, right. it's really important for our exercisers and athletes to understand those core principles, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. From the, on the athletic side, definitely. And, and I think just getting people active, one of the things, yeah, it's hard to realize, but we're talking about some sophisticated systems here, but still it's an a, a infinitesimally small number of people that are actually on these systems. And most everybody else is still fighting to just have insulin and, you know, get through their day with a certain number of shots and, and counting carbs. I and mean, the basics, right, are still the challenges that we face, I think, also. So, yeah, we're, we, we're going to have to keep the uphill battle, but at least the, the holy grail of where we can go is getting closer each day, which is... Uh, just very exciting, I think. Um, so our community submits questions before for, for these uh, podcasts. And one of the questions I thought was really good to bring up for you uh, that does come up once in a while from our end too is what blood sugar uh, is too high to exercise? That's a, that's a great question. Um, and um, one, if you, if you look through the literature and the recommendations out there, um, it often gets a little murky or <laughs> confusing when you look at recommendations. Um, I would say that, um, how would I say this? You can, I, I would you can advise give the doctor's against, advice. I would advise also, against. Yeah. <laughs> I would advise against. I would advise against exercising. Uh, I would advise against working out, exercising, or training with any blood sugar when there's a significant level of ketones uh, circulating. Yeah, okay, good. So yeah, that's good. If 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 there's a high level of ketones, um, I don't think. Um, so if you're you know, if you're doing plasma, if you're doing blood blood ketone testing like 1.5 or greater i think is a reasonable cutoff uh if you're doing urine testing which is a little bit late in the game you know moderate to marked uh ketones and or any symptoms of any symptoms that could possibly be dka so um i'm, I'm getting way off base on you but any glucose with uh 
significant question of the possibility of high levels of ketones or impending ketoacidosis. Um, uh, otherwise, um, I, I, you know, I would say under most circumstances, it's okay to exercise or work out with a high glucose level in the uh, man, if you wanted me to put a number on it, I'd say you don't have to. You, you're doing a fine job <laughs> right now, Matt, of walking the walking <laughs> the line, and I love it. You're you're perfect. You're like watching it, walking right on the edge. I'll say as a as an you know, I'm not a physician, so on one hand, as an athlete and a type one for most of my career, you know, there's certain numbers I felt uncomfortable with, right? You know. Was it 250? No. Was it 280? Eh, starting to get kind of crummy. 300 starts to feel real kind of nasty. And then anything north of that, you know, you might not even have the energy to muster up to do it sometimes, or you wouldn't even want to. So the the fact is that you know, it depends on that. it depends on how you got there too, right, Cliff? I mean, yeah. I, one of the early athletes I worked with who was training for the Chicago marathon with type one diabetes, his pre-race meal was a cream filled donut. He loved to have a cream filled donut before his marathon run. So um, he didn't win uh, <laughs> the marathon, <laughs> but he, you know, he, he did all right, but he also started with a glucose of about 340. Hmm. Uh, but he, it was clear why his glucose level was 340. Um, there was no questions about it. He felt perfectly fine. And he was well aware that when he started running in his experience, his glucose levels would drop. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of scenario. So even, even high two hundreds, low three hundreds without any concern that there's an insulin problem. That's right. Yeah. With that, with that, you know, even if you're in the high two hundreds, low three hundreds, but you don't have a short supply of insulin, which is what's going to push somebody towards the ketosis, the most likely response from exercise is still going to be to push the glucose down. Yeah. As long as you have that insulin, I agree with you. Yeah. Cause the, the energy output may be mixed bag, you know, and you can actually perform still even with higher blood sugars, but top level performance, not necessarily, but you certainly can still perform. And you're right. Yeah. It generally yeah. will come down with enough insulin on board there to start off. So, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's difficult for these, uh, for some of these really uh, notable and, and, and really smart folks and leaders in our field who have to write these consensus statements, yeah. but what you're going to find in a consensus statement or a guideline is going to be 270, a number yeah. somewhere between 270 and 300 plus significant ketones don't exercise. Yeah. Otherwise, okay to proceed with caution, whatever that means. Right. You know, like, right. <laughs> however they define caution. Um, but um, what it, can I ask you? Um, yeah. What, because it's always interesting uh, for to hear from either exercisers or athletes. What do you find as your sweet spot? Not necessarily for for starting, but um, just when you're engaged in training or, or working out, do you have a sweet spot where you like to operate? So I, I will say that I always get excited before races and I, and I'm retired at least from racing at the moment, but when my blood sugars were on the lower side, 
so I'd always try to target starting off right before the gun goes off, you know, a hundred or even less would be ideal. Rarely does it happen. Usually it's more like 150 to hundred would be, you know, and occasionally you get higher because of cortisol and stress, but sweet spot for me meant a stable arrow. So it didn't much matter the absolute number as long as the trend arrow wasn't going down. So as soon as right that arrow starts going down, it's like somebody's pulling out the rug from underneath you. The legs get wobbly, the energy starts to dissipate, and you don't feel so hot. And if the arrow is kind of even going angling slightly up, you can still perform as long as it doesn't get so high that you're you're choking the engine. You're not getting the glucose out of the muscles, and you're not able to you know keep going or dehydrate. So I don't think I really had a sweet spot, but that was before I had a sweet spot when I was not pumping because I knew that the long acting insulin had more of a contribution towards blood sugar was going to be headed. And then when I finally got in my middle third of my uh, athletic career, more dialed in, you know, I had the pump. So it was a little more, you know, okay, well, we're not going to have as much insulin on board at this juncture and, you know, whether it was training or racing, and so I could be a little more confident that a number was just the number at that point. So you can't unchime like Lantus or any of these longer acting insulins late stage in the game where they're, the insulin is amplified. So yeah, it was, it's interesting, uh, but I get real excited about low blood, lower blood sugars right before and even with a decent amount of insulin on board before major events, but that's the exact opposite during training. That's the exact opposite because during training is a different physiology, which, you know, we could probably have a whole other podcast on that alone. But, you know, I think that uh, the numbers are kind of interesting, but I always, I always feel good at normal blood sugars, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank yeah. you. No, I have, it's great. It's great to cross cross reference these things. So I have uh, one last question from our community. You know, right now there's a lot of different uh, diabetes equipment that people are using these days. You know, what do you see? Um, pumps and CGMs tend to be the top ones. That's one of the questions from our community for pumps and CGMs. What was the question? Sorry, <laughs> what, what diabetes equipment would you recommend these days, pumps and CGMs? Uh, uh, you mean among the technologies? Yeah, yeah. What, what would you recommend for somebody who's looking to be more, you know, dialed in with their approach, perhaps they want to be more active. What, what is the equipment that you're seeing and that you would say you would recommend too? Well, you know, if somebody's not on technology, I don't know if this is answering the question, but it, it you know, it, there's always that question that gets posed. Like if you're not on technologies, what, what would you do? Would you, would you pump? Would you put somebody on a pump first? Would you put them on a CGM first? Um, I mean, it, it, it seems like a no brainer from this perspective, you start with the continuous glucose monitoring um, and um and and you at least you at least get going with that. So, um, uh, you know, that I mean, it's hard for it's hard for me to imagine, um, you know, for somebody who's just diagnosed with type one or or not on technologies yet that they're not going to be 
on a sensor at some point. Right. Um, but I, I, that's just been, I mean, that, that's been such a game changer. Um, although I, you know, I think there's, I, I'm a simple guy, right. But I, I think there's challenges with that, right. We're because we're asking, you know, the Holy grail, I think, right. Is that we have these continuous glucose monitors uh, talking to pumps and computers and, and telling them what to do. And we're asking the human brain um, to try to interpret it all in the moment, which yeah, it struggles to do. That's why we're, <laughs> that's why we're looking for automation. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I tend to think continuous glucose monitoring is, is a, I don't want to say must have, but I'll say it anyway, must have. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I, and I like that order of operations too. I think the glucose monitor comes first too. Yeah. I think yeah. what you learn, um, I think what somebody learns, uh, you know, whether it's working with, you know, uh, you know, an exerciser, an athlete, um, or even somebody who we're trying to get into an active mode, you know, I, in, in our daily practice, um, you know, you're, I'm continually meeting people who are 20, 30, 40 years into their diagnosis of diabetes. And, um, you know, they may resist it for a year, two years, three years, whatever, but almost always they say, I, I don't know. I don't know why I waited so long to do this. I mean, yeah. it just opens up the brain to what's the, the dynamics of it all. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point for sure. Yeah. Well, Matt, listen, thank you so, so much for coming on the call today and for our podcast and for being on our program. It's just so exciting to work with you and, uh, and hear what you guys have going on, obviously, at Diabetes Training Camp. If people want to get involved in your program, how do they do so? What's the best way for them to, uh, to reach out? Yeah, well, Cliff, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, always, it's always great to connect with you. Um, so for uh, information about our camps, um, uh, the easiest way to probably access us is through the web at diabetestrainingcamp.com. Uh, my wife, Jody, who helps me run the foundation also keeps us pretty active on social media on, uh, I think, Facebook and Instagram, but we have a Facebook account under the name uh, Diabetes Training Camp. So I think the way those operate is if you go on and like a page, you get updates and uh, et cetera. Um, but yeah, we'd love to have people reach out to us uh, through through our web at diabetestrainingcamp.com or uh, through our Facebook page. Uh, That's great. And uh, great. we try to make ourselves available um, uh, as much as anybody needs if they want to learn about what we're doing. And and we're uh, we are very excited about collaborating with you, Cliff. I know you're coming on to uh, one of our virtual community hubs uh, in a couple of weeks, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, we've, we're going to continue to have some um, uh, mini mini V camps, as we're calling them, one day programs throughout the year this year as we plan to get back on the ground, as you mentioned. And I know you're going to join us at those too. So uh, yeah, we're I'm look, excited really to looking come, forward to working working together. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, I'm, I'm excited to come out to the to the training camp. Uh, hopefully later this year. Fingers crossed. We'll be there all together experience it Absolutely. and uh also equally excited to have you on our programs uh and our courses too awesome thank you cliff really yeah, appreciate thanks. it thanks a lot matt
Thanks for listening to the Glucose Advisors podcast. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com. Learn from our team of advisors and find out more about space available in our programs. Head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to rate, subscribe, or leave a review. Until next time, take control, stay inspired, and live a better life with T1D.